As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I'm Max Boltman, with me as always is Prashant Iyer, and we've got another contract episode to do. Anthony Mantha, on election day, gets his four-year contract. Uh, It's going to be a $5.7 million AAV, it's backloaded. So Prashant, what are your takeaways from the Red Wings signing Mantha through 2024? I think first and foremost, I appreciated the distraction from Steve Eiserman by giving yes. us that contract to spend a little bit of time, you know, thinking about that. So, you know, before I even talk about Mantha, I got to give my tip my hat to Steve Eiserman there. Thank you for a couple hours of distraction yesterday. Um, focusing on the Mantha contract, I think, you know, I think it surprised a lot of people. I think that the dollar amount was a lot lower than a lot of people anticipated. I mean, I think you and I even kicked around uh, months back as high as $7 million dollars. Um, paying him just you know from that standpoint so to get him not only on a shorter term deal being four years but to do it without having to substantially overpay and do it at 5.7 million I mean I think it surprised a lot of people around the league it certainly surprised me You're, you're right I mean Evolving Hockey nailed the term length at four years in their projections but they had this contract coming in at more like six and a half million dollars so to get nearly a million dollar discount on that, on a player like Mantha, who, you know, I can kind of see where that discrepancy would come in for a player like Mantha, who the underlying numbers are going to have a, a much easier time being confident in him given his injuries, right? Like I, I would say if there's any, you know, point, if there's any blemish on Mantha's resume to this point, it's that for as good as his scoring pace has been, he hasn't stayed healthy when he's been at, at that peak. In his last two years, which have been kind of his breakout years, they've been, I think it was 67 games and then 43 games this last year. So he doesn't have he hasn't had time to put kind of that counting stat on paper that usually leads to the big contract. From that standpoint, you can even argue this is a solid deal for him because 5.7 probably doesn't 
happen for you on a four-year deal with just 50-point seasons, which is about what he's been at. But we all know what what kind of pace he's been on. It was 30-goal, 70-point pace last year. If he does that, you are looking at $7 million minimum probably. So I really like this as an investment for Steve Eiserman. He's getting all of Mantha's best years, 26 through 29. The next contract will be right before Mantha's 30. So Mantha will get another shot on the free agent market. But I've got no issues with this from really anyone's perspective. Yeah, I mean, really, the only issue I have with it is from Mantha's agent's perspective. I'm not really sure why he talked him into taking that deal. I know, you know, in his uh, in his little presser, he talked about betting on himself and, you know, opening up the opportunity to negotiate again. I mean, that being said, you never know with Mantha's injury history, you have another big injury and you end up limiting your career in some way. It's just, it's a big gamble on his standpoint to kind of do that. But, uh, I mean, from a team standpoint, this is an absolute steal and, you know, when you look at the AAV of 5.7 million, you do have to wonder if it's a little bit like, you know, what Nick Lidstrom used to do when you had the Red Wings. It was kind of an unwritten rule that no one was going to make more than Nick Lidstrom. This was after Eisenman had retired. And so a lot of the Datsug Zetterberg negotiations kind of came in at contract values underneath Lidstrom. Lidstrom would sign these one year deals that, you know, would kind of set the bar and then everyone would come in underneath it. You know, that was part of the reason why. Hosa couldn't get as much as he wanted was in addition to signing Franz and, you know, Ken Holland wasn't going to pay someone more than Nick Lidstrom. And so you almost wonder if there's a bar being set by Dylan Larkin, $6.1 million that, you know, they weren't going to clear here. And, and Mantha coming in underneath it just means it's an absolute steal for Detroit. Yeah. I mean, my main reasons that I could see it from Mantha's side are the fact that he hasn't had that you know, full length season at this level at, at that rate you would want to be paid. And the fact that he knows he'll get another shot at a good contract. He even mentioned it yesterday. You know, he, he'll be looking at age 30 to sign another four or five year deal. And maybe that's in Detroit. Maybe that's somewhere else. So, so I don't mind it from that perspective, uh, from their perspective. The only thing is you look at like another contract that was handed down this past offseason, Josh Anderson, seven years, 5.5 million. Well, Anthony Mantha's track record is a heck of a lot more cemented than Josh Anderson's. Josh Anderson gets more term and nearly the same salary. You know, from that standpoint, I think you have to like Mantha's deal a lot better than what Montreal gave Josh Anderson. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. If you're comparing him to Josh Anderson, I think you're, you're coming out miles ahead. And, and honestly, this is one of the best value contracts. I think, you know, in Dom's model that... Uh, you know, you included in your article, the the contract comes out as almost an excess or surplus value of $13 million, which if you look at, you know, Dom's article that he put out the other day talking about the 10 best contracts in the NHL, I mean, McDavid was 10 at, with a surplus value of $18 million. So Mantha's, you know, arguably one of these top 20 contracts in the NHL right now. I'm just kind of extrapolating from how that tier looks. So you know, it's a it's a heck of a value deal, and and I get the bet from Mantha's standpoint. I think the the question becomes, you know, what does his career look like over the next four years? Obviously, Detroit's put more talent on this team that offers him the ability to improve some of those counting stats. You know, I think hopefully by this point he's learned the importance of not fighting, uh, so that he can stay on the ice and actually put up these numbers. But it's what's the trajectory of his career going to look like? Is it going to follow a Tomas Hurdle type trajectory where, you know, the Sharks had him? They had pretty similar stats. If you look at, you know, Mantha and Hurdle between, you know, age 17 and 25, uh, you know, they're relatively similar. I think Mantha was at about 0.16 standing points above replacement per 60 minutes. Hurdle was at 0.18. So, you know, roughly comparable. But Hurdle over the following two years has then taken it 
kind of to another level with his play. And so you got to ask yourself, you know, is Mantha going to follow that trajectory or is he going to follow, you know, a, a, a lesser trajectory or a trajectory that doesn't necessarily have him improving at the same rate? You know, does he become more of a Riley Smith and Artem Anisimov, that kind of player? Uh, or is he able to follow the, you know, the Michael Backlund, the Thomas Hurdle, that kind of archetype? So I think it's a big bet. I think it's a bet that definitely Detroit's willing to let play out. And at the end of the day, you know, if you get a couple years in and you're not where you need to be, if you're Detroit, this is a really movable contract that's going to net you a lot of stuff. Uh, so I think it's a huge win across the board there. That is true. And and, and certainly Mantha is going to be in the kinds of roles to, to do everything you just said and take that next step. You figure as long as he is on the ice, he is with either Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi or with Philip Zadina or, you know, they're going to have to find another center for their top six at some point. But I don't really see a world in which Anthony Mantha is not on your top line here. Um, so, yeah, for the foreseeable, I mean, I think the, the question becomes how how good can they get before this deal expires? Um you know, Mantha mentioned that, and Eiserman confirmed today that he didn't want—they didn't want to do a deal. The Red Wings didn't—that would have made Mantha a free agent uh, at, at the same time as Dylan Larkin. That would have been three years from now. So I wonder how quick can they get to contention? I mean, I, I've kind of mentally circled in my head for a while now that 2022-23 season, while they're going to have two, it looks like really strong value contracts in Larkin and Mantha on the books. You figure you're still going to have ELCs for Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider by then. Um, they should be in the league by then. Um, what can you do by that season? I don't think we're predicting them to be really like a, a contender or even really a, a conference semifinalist, but can you get into the playoffs and win a round and, and get some momentum going by then? That's where I would target. But one of the things that you and I talk about all the time, and I think you're probably even a little ahead of the curve on this, is you you don't necessarily target one specific year or even a group of three or four years that you build toward. You just get this going in the right direction. And rather than signing contracts and say, okay, we have to win in one of these three years, you just keep rolling with good contracts. And the more contracts like this they sign, the more feasible that becomes. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I mean, if you look at the Red Wings offseason, it's all been about flexible, good value contracts. And I think you can't go wrong if you continue to maintain that kind of mindset. You maintain the ability to, you know, scale up or scale down as needed. You know, right now Detroit has the capacity that if in two years they want a radically different team, they can do that. Uh, they could do that in one year, I mean, with some of the contracts that they've got available to them. And that simply wasn't the flexibility you had afforded to you. You want to know why you are where you are right now. It's because for the last five years, Detroit hasn't been able to be flexible. They haven't had the capacity to get out from the Abdulkader contract, the Nielsen contract, the Helm, the Glenn Denning, the Erickson, the Howard. I can go on and on and on. You had too much on your plate. At this point now, the, the whole offseason mentality has been flexibility, flexibility, flexibility. And this Mantha contract offers you the same thing there. I mean, you're going to push, again, you've got two guys under contract beyond the next two years. That's just insane um, for the wings to be able to do that. And and kind of the point I like to make here is, you know, you, you got to make sure you're on the right trajectory to sustainable contention. And if in two years, you know, and Anthony Mantha is 26, 27, and, and, you know, Larkin's now, you know, 25, 26, and, and Bertuzzi's getting in that age, and you don't like the direction you're going, that's what this contract offers you. It's the ability to tear it down, move it, take some new assets, and reset your core. And so 
Uh, I really like everything about this deal. It fits very much in line with what everything Eisman's done this so far. Uh, so it just makes a ton of sense from the team standpoint. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Other than staying healthy, is there anything you're, you'd like to see from Mantha in the next year or two? No, I mean, that's really it. I think he's just got to stay healthy for the next uh, next year. I mean, if you look at where he was this year, and part of the reason why you want to be optimistic with him is... Uh, you know, he played 43 games, sure, but he was 23rd amongst forwards in the NHL in standing points above replacement per 60. Like, that is a top 30 forward. The guys around him, you know, are Andrei Svechnikov, Mark Stone, Anthony Sorelli, Steven Stamkos. Like, those are names that you can be in that territory. So it's making sure he continues to stay on that development path and can just stay on the ice long enough to make that impact. And And if he can do that, I think the sky's the limit for him. You know, I don't think he's a Mark Stone ceiling player, but I think he can definitely make an impact that's, you know, 75% of what Mark Stone gives you, which is an unreal player um, in today's NHL. Prashant's uh, dog has now entered the the conversation, came in, and uh, he's now perched on the couch. So we'll we'll offer the floor up now to your dog to wait. Deacon, you get any thoughts? No, he's good. Still, still constructing those deep thoughts. He'll he'll be thinking um, about him for the next little bit here. That's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, Mantha said on the call yesterday the things he's working on are, are are adding some rebound goals around the net and and doing whatever he can to make the power play better. I did look, and evolving hockey does have his power play. Um, power play impact on offense lower than I would have expected. I think it's actually negative. I don't know how much of that is due to the Red Wings have had a horrible power play. Um, you know, certainly his shot is an absolute weapon there uh, from the one-timer spot. But, you know, there's there's got to be ways that with, with a player like him, he is not just a shooter. There's got to be ways that they can get more dynamic on the power play. I don't think that all falls on Mantha. I think a lot of that ultimately actually falls on uh, whoever's quarterbacking those units to maybe get more involved and and just, just be a more, uh, I don't know, the word's not multiple, but fluid, I guess. Like, more in motion, less less predictable that people know the puck's coming to him at the one-timer spot. So certainly that's not all on him. Um, I think you've talked in the past about wanting to see some behind-the-net looks on the power play. That certainly um, would be one way for that to help happen. And there's actually a couple guys in the farm system who could be good at that, starting with Jonathan Berggren. But yeah, I, I agree. The, the key is just staying on the development path. And really, if, if, a, if a year from now, and who knows what this season's going to look like, if it's, if it's abbreviated or not, if two years from now... He's got a full season under his belt at anywhere close to what he was what he was tracking for this season. You know, that contract very well might be making Dom's top 10 value contracts. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. And really, you know, to the point of the power play, I think that's honestly just comes down to a coaching thing. Um, I think the Red Wings power play has has not looked good from a design standpoint. And, you know, simply the personnel you're trotting out right now is just not conducive to being successful. I mean, you know, it's it's so easy to take the case study of the Washington Capitals and say, well, what makes Washington good? And the short answer is Alex Ovechkin. But the long answer really is they have so many good options from a handedness standpoint that when you have Nick Backstrom or Evgeny Kuznetsov running the power play from you know the right half boards and you've got John Carlson as a right-handed shot at the top, you've got Ovechkin on the far dot as a right-handed shot, you've got TJ Oshie in the, in the slot as a right-handed shot. You know, it's it's all the pieces there that make it so that there are now four passing options every single time. And you watch Detroit's power play and there's just not that. Um, and so I think that's been their biggest limitation more than anything else. So, yeah, I'd absolutely love to see some better coaching that gets Mantha in some better spots. And I think, you know, that'll be the biggest thing, because if you look at his uh, um, standing points above replacement, where he's negative is honestly just special teams. Uh, yeah. it's, it's power play and it's, uh, you know, shorthanded stuff because he doesn't play a ton of shorthanded minutes. It doesn't look particularly good. So, you know, you fix up that power play area and I think he becomes a really, really valuable player. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Any other thoughts on Mantha before we transition into kind of the what's next phase of this episode? I think the other thing to just bring it back and mention is, you know, we've talked about how good of a value it is. And, and so the natural question I think you have to ask yourself is why not longer? I think we talked about it from a, a player standpoint in that, well, you know, Mantha can can bank on it and kind of lightly from a team standpoint, offering you that flexibility. But I guess the question is, is it the right decision by the team, given how good of a player he's been, to say, let's stay on the shorter side um, at four years, as opposed to being able to offer him that seven-year deal. Um, you know, I think you and I have talked about it in that I think it all comes down to how good you think Anthony Mantha can be from a team side. Uh, you know, if he is in that truly elite tier versus in that tier that's right below that very good tier, um, maybe you don't want to commit those years beyond him. And so I think it is a valid question to ask yourself, and it may be one where the Wings regret it. In four years, if he takes that next step up and pushes himself into the elite tier, or if he kind of stays in that very good tier, then I think the Wings have a a lot of uh, you know opportunities to to make some moves there from a flexibility standpoint. Something I've noticed about myself is I always seem to think contracts should be a year or two longer than they come out. So <laughs> I, I certainly thought the Red Wings should have gone for six or so with with Mantha. But um, it sounds like he was comfortable with this for, for his reasons. And, and I, I really don't think it's a, it's going to be a big problem, partly because of what you were mentioning with the flexibility. Like at, at some point, the longer your deal goes, the more risk exposure you have. And so to me, I tend to think when I see a player be good, I'm willing to give him some good term. I, I, at least I would be in, in that in that GM's chair um, that I will never occupy. But <laughs> um you know, four, I don't think four years is short either. It's the longest contract Steve Eisenman's given out. It makes him the, the player who is under contract the longest in the Red Wings organization. Um, really, if you look at what what a blank canvas the Red Wings have going forward, Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha are basically the only long-term pieces on it right now. You figure Larkin's going to re-sign in three years, so no problem there. Um, but yeah, you look more than two years down the line, those are the only two guys other than ELCs in the picture. So um, I, I still think it's long-term, even if I probably would have two, three months ago said they should shoot for six. And honestly, I probably would have still said that a week ago. I don't have a problem with four, though. Yeah, I mean, I'll call it back to our Tyler Bertuzzi episode. And, you know, you and I talked about 
How much did Eiserman's experience in Tampa influence his yeah. negotiation with Bertuzzi, right? So it's the, if you look at Tampa's situation right now, why are they in such a cap problem? It's the giving out of term to the Tyler Johnsons, the Alex Kalorns, the Andre Palats, you know, that, that tier of player. Those are very good players, and they were very good players for Tampa in the mid to you know 2010s, and you know even up until recently on their cup run, they were still contributing players. But the problem is now at this point of their contracts, they are no longer the steal. They are no longer that huge bargain. They are now either being paid at value or they are being paid above value um, at this stage in the contract, and it makes it difficult for Tampa to stay consistently good. And now they're in a pinch where they have guys who are trying to ascend into that next tier, your Sorelli or Sergachev's uh, point in a couple years, and you're not going to be able to pay them because you're now stuck paying more than market value for these guys. So, yeah, I think from a team standpoint, if you look at it and say, is Mantha now your Braden Point Nikita Kucherov player that I want to give a lot of term to? Or is he in that tier below that Palat you know, uh, Tyler Johnson, you know, in that grouping. And I want to be a little bit, uh, you know, more careful there. And so that's why I think it's okay that you don't walk away with six, seven, you know, years from this, because I think Eisman's honestly colored a little bit by that experience. I'll also add, um, Eisman said today that they did try to do something longer term than certainly than the one year were his words that Bertuzzi ended up getting with, with Bertuzzi. And so that's important context too, is, you know, I, I think certainly we read into, um, an Eisman quote from earlier this off season saying they want to be cautious about going long term, And, and, and we don't really know the specifics here. He didn't say how many years they offered him or what the dollars were, or if it was something that was a reasonable, um, that what we would judge a reasonable offer for Tyler Bertuzzi, um, on something with more term, but that does sound like something that they were interested in with him as well. Um, which harkens back to maybe my favorite Eisenman quote of all time, which was, I wouldn't read into anything I do. <laughs> <laughs> the best quote, literally the best quote, because no one knows what he's about to do. No, not at all. It's it's truer words have not been spoken. Speaking of which, what do you read into this that Iserman said today? He says he would not be opposed to adding another player. Um, it sounded like I think he was referring to free agency. Um, obviously, there's there's still some plenty of of trade water uh, potential out there on the contract side of things. But he was asked about if he was done, and he said as as it gets closer to the start of the season, or at least knowing when the season's going to start. Uh, it didn't sound like he's ruling out adding one more player. You make anything of that? No, I mean, that's a that's a really interesting kind of move here uh, because, you know, if you look at the guys that are in unrestricted free agency, I mean, sure, there's still, you know, a, a handful of decent players. I mean, you've got Mike Hoffman out there still. You've got uh, Anthony Duclair out there still. So, you know, you've got some good players that you could conceivably go after, Um, you know, me wanting to read into Iserman's, uh, moves as I'm supposed to do, I'd be more interested in seeing if that money goes in the direction of a restricted free agent. And if there is, uh, any temptation to, to use that in an offer sheet capacity, given some of the cap strap teams here, uh, you look at what the Islanders just did today with Ryan Pulak and giving him a really strangely termed and amount of money, that leaves them, I think, with less than $4 million and Matt Barzell needing to sign. 
Um, you know, I almost wonder if you can think about it from that direction, but more than likely he's probably, you know, looking at some of these depth forwards here, I think. I would think so too. I I don't think it'll be a net. I kind of don't think it'll be on D either. So I would have to think it would be kind of that top nine forward range. I don't think they're going to do an offer sheet, but I will indulge that because of what I saw Ryan Pulick get today, uh, two years, 5 million from the Islanders. Mikhail Sergachev? Is that the one you're thinking of? No, I mean, you know, there's Sergachev, Sorelli, and then you look at Barzell. And I mean, Barzell now, I mean, the Islanders uh, have very quietly painted themselves into a big corner, you know, into a big problem here. Uh, You know, you look at their cap structure. I mean, they've still got Anders Lee for six more years, Brock Nelson for five more years. You know, Eberle's there for four more years. They just signed Pajot to a really long deal for six years this summer. Um, they don't have a lot of easily movable money. You know, who's taking Cal Clutterback uh, at, you know, at three and a half million? Who's taking Casey Sezikis at 3.35 million? Leo Komarov at three million for two more years. I mean, there's not a lot of easily movable guys on that team, uh, you know, from that standpoint. I mean, sure, you could, you know, try and pawn somebody into taking Boychuk, but at that point, I think you're you're almost paying assets to try and make this happen. So, I don't know how the Islanders escape this. And you do have to wonder, given the time limit uh, with responding to offer sheets, if you could get a below market uh, Barzell offer sheet. Now, that being said, Barzell would need to sign it. And you would be running a huge risk of what the Canadians did last year, which is locking up a good player uh, long term on a below market value deal. Uh, for a conference rival, which is what they did with Sebastian Ajo. So, you know, it remains to be seen, but I mean, there, there's a lot of interesting moves here. And if you read into it and say not free agency, but maybe via trade, I mean, you know, maybe you uh, find a way to tell the Islanders to give you Anthony Beauvillier or another guy who they're going to have to deal with as a restricted free agent the following year. Again, when they're not going to have a ton of money, they only have Casey Sezikis coming off the books. So, um, they're a team I would pick on in a number of ways, whether it's free agency, restricted free agency, offer sheet, uh, trade. I think they have to tear some stuff down here. My gut would tell me that after they've already traded Devin Taves, they're going to be hesitant to trade another young roster player. Um, they are maybe the number one team, though, that I would be calling about a cap-based trade around someone like Johnny Boychuk. That's two years on that deal. You know, I, I am not a I'm not an Islanders basher. I think what they do works. I think their roster is old and they are ripe to plummet. And I am saying Lou Lamorello, 2022 first round pick, 2021 first round pick. Who knows what's going to happen this year, especially in a shortened season. I'll, I'll make this go away for you. You can send Matt Barzell for whatever he wants. That's what that Matt Barzell, I should say. Um, that would be my my uh, my call if I was trying to, to make something happen with the Islanders. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply yeah i think the Boychuk move makes the most sense for detroit i think obviously as good as barzell is you know he's 23 at this point 
Um, you'd lock them up for a lot of money. It would kind of restrict some of that flexibility. That being said, outstanding elite player. Um, the Boychuk move, though, if you were able to pick up a 2022 first um, on a team that you want to swing this high variance here with, and they're a team where the bottom falls out, potentially like the Sharks this past year, and now you're sitting 2022 with two potential lottery picks in an outstanding draft, you know, with Shane Wright available. I mean, that's that's a heck of a move, and that's one way to really get where you need to go uh, if you're Detroit. So, yeah, I mean, Eiserman says he's open to adding. I think that would be one excellent usage of the remaining money that he's got uh, would be taking Boychuk here. Uh, for those wondering on the offer sheets, basically the way it works is if, if the player signs an offer sheet and the team has the, 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 the original team who has his rights has the opportunity to match. If they do not match, they get different tiers of compensation. So really any player that you would be excited about getting in an offer sheet probably starts at, at least one second round pick. That's what it goes up to for about $4.3 million. Uh, most of the players that we would be talking about though, are going to involve at least one first. Anything from 4.3 to $8.7 million is going to involve at least a first and a third. And if it's between six and a half to $8.7 million, it's a first, a second, and a third. But the fact that you can go up to $8.7 million on an offer sheet, and all these are divided by five. So obviously, if you offer a seven-year deal, um, you actually can't go to $8.7 million on the AAV. But if you have a five-year $8.7 million deal, you give up a first, a second, and a third. Really, that's what the Red Wings um, got for Tomas Tatar from Vegas a couple years back. For the right player, I wouldn't hate it, but I don't think it'll happen. They're extraordinarily rare. You saw it, what happens last year, like Prashant said, when Montreal offers you Sebastian Ajo. More likely than not, the team that has a, a good player uh, and really wants to keep him at $8.7 million or whatever is not going to trade him for a first, a second, and a third when they could just keep him at that number. But because I know people are going to ask, I thought it was worth laying out. Um, and yeah, so, so for me, I would still be focused on these, these cap deals. And if there's a free agent out there, you know, Anthony Duclair is still out there. He's a guy who kind of has that scoring profile, um, that could make sense in a third line role. Um, I know he's a guy who Red Wings fans have been asking about really since it happened. There's just, there's value to be had right now. There's guys who are going to want to play. Um, and the Red Wings also, we should mention, have another restricted free agent out there. That's Dmitry Timoshov. Eichmann said today Timoshov's exploring his options, but he's not out of the question that he would re- re-sign with them. I almost wonder if that's part of where the interest in adding another player comes from, is if Timoshov is not in the fold and doesn't re-sign. I think it makes more sense than from a crowd perspective to add one more guy, if, if that's the case. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know, given that, uh, you know, we still don't know what this taxi squad situation is going to be. Uh, when the season resumes, you know, I think Eiserman alluded to it uh, a couple of uh, pressers back in that, you know, the NHL is talking about having expanded roster limits given, uh, you know, the still obviously the presence of the COVID pandemic right now. And so, you know, adding other guys makes sense if you want to just have that depth. I think that's a huge reason why you didn't see them buy out Franz Nielsen is just, again, having another body on the team without a huge kind of benefit from that there. But, you know, the offer sheet thing is very interesting. I'm just going to say, you know, at eight point, uh, what was it? 8.7 million is what you said there, Max. I mean, that would still be 800,000 under the Barzell predicted cap hit um, from evolving hockey. So that would be, you know, a nice, uh, a nice deal there, especially at five years. I mean, that wouldn't be, 
that'd be a really nice get if Detroit could do it with a first, second, and third. And I think he's a guy that, hey, if you're going to spend a first, second, and third, um, you know, this could be the year to do it, given that Detroit's got three seconds and two thirds. You know, really, it's that loss of the first round pick um, that would impact Which could be you. first overall. Right, which it could be first overall. And the other thing I'll kind of say, though, is, you know, it, it may be slightly weaker at the top than we've seen in the past. There is still some depth. Um, yep. But if you were to kick around the idea of expending a draft pick uh, in the first round, maybe it's this year. And then you ask yourself, well, okay, does a team that has a top six of Barzell, Larkin, Mantha, Bertuzzi, Zadina, and insert center here, uh, is that a well, Barzell is five? that center. Sorry, I should say insert winger here then, you know, yeah. depending on who you want to play there, uh, whether it's Gagne or, you know, Nemesnikov or anybody like that. Uh, is that a bottom five team? And I don't know that it is. No, I think it's point. maybe still a lottery team, um, but just barely. And then, so, you know, then you kind of ask yourself, okay, if I is it worth giving up that lottery pick, giving up people who've moved up? I still think yes, but a uh, very interesting question and one that I think the Wings should entertain. What I would guess would happen in that scenario is the Islanders would match, knowing how low that compensation is, knowing that that's a reasonable number for Brazil. And then they find another way to move Boychuk that doesn't involve Detroit. And so then you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Or or someone else. It doesn't have to be Boychuk. They, they just find another way to do it that doesn't involve Detroit. And then maybe you, you shoot yourself out of that opportunity too. That's one reason that I would suspect offer sheets don't happen uh, particularly often. But you never know. Um, don't count on it. I'd put it at less than 1% chance likelihood anything like that happens. Um, I have actually lobbied before. I've said that if I was going to uh, lob an offer sheet this offseason, it might be at Eric Chernak, um, who I think the Lightning are going to have a hard time trying to figure out because he's the one that gets forgotten. It's always Sorelli and Sergachev. He's a good good young player too. I'm sure they're going to be motivated to keep him, but you just saw the Islanders give away Devin Taves for two second-round picks um, because of this kind of trouble. Chernak would be close to the front of my mind if I was going to throw an offer sheet. Yeah, I think he's another reasonable player you know, to, to think about, but... You know, all that being said, you're you're absolutely right. I think the the caveat would be here. You, you know, if you could, if you're gonna, if you were to pick on the Islanders, I think that's exactly what they would do: is match, knowing that they have the off season to get underneath, because an offer sheet of eight point seven million uh, would not put them over ten percent, like the situation Vegas was in, uh, where Vegas had twenty four hours to figure it out. Um, yeah. And so, you know, in that situation, I don't think it'd be enough damage to. Uh, to the Islanders, unfortunately. So, but we're here to give you hope, and <laughs> and and that's what it's all about, right? That's right. You guys need something to be excited about lately. I mean, here we're, we're Lloyd Christmas saying, you know, you're telling me there's a chance. So that's that, right. That's what we're doing here. We're setting it up. You have the space to do it, and I think that's the key. Um, anything else? Any, anything? Any other ways you'd like to see Osman use that cap space? I think we've pretty much covered it. Free agent, offer sheet, and uh, and cap trade. Yeah, I think the piece that we have to think about really is carry it into the season, right? Yeah. You know, we're obviously in a financially difficult time for a lot of these organizations. Um, no need to throw the money out there if it's not going to make a dramatic impact. And potentially, you get closer to the trade deadline and you find yourself, you know, able to be that partner in a three-way trade or be that partner in another type deal. You know, you find uh, yourself in a situation to pull off a Patrick Marlowe type deal for a first round pick um, in 2022, you know. So uh, I, I think carrying it into the season 
is not a bad thing to do. You want to make sure you're you're always using every dollar, um, you know, in a meaningful fashion, and you don't just want to throw the money out there just because you have it, because uh, again, that can set you back in the long run. So I think that final option is really just carry it forward. Yeah. All right. Well, now's the portion of the show where I remember something I wanted to talk about that I didn't remember before we started. And so I get to just lob it to Prashanth with zero time to prepare. Amazing. So you guys don't know this, but this happens at least like once every other episode. So Karjala Cup starts this week for the Red Wings prospects in Sweden. They're going to have a full uh, clip of prospects with that team. Lucas Raymond, Theodore Niederbach, or sorry, they're at the U20 camp. They're at U20. Uh, Bergren's with uh, Bergren's at the Karjala Cup. Yep. What, what are reasonable expectations for him at that tournament and for the other clip of, of Swedes uh, at their international event with Sweden? Yeah, or so starting with the Karjala Cup, um, you know, it's just going to be a tournament here with Finland. Usually includes the Czech Republic and Russia, but uh, obviously I, I think this year they're not going to include those other countries just out of safety reasons. Uh, looking at the early line projections, I think Bergen was slated to, you know, play on the third line and then he, potentially the second power play unit. Um, so, you know, I think reasonable expectations, it's a short tournament, it's four days. Uh, you know, if he doesn't score a point, it's not the end of the world. It's fine. I think what you're looking to see is how he's utilized on the power play, because I think this is really his space for creativity. I mean, you've seen some of the highlights and clips and the, you know, the gifts that have come out of him just absolutely making these wheeling cross-ice passes that set up these great one-timers. I think that's what I want to see is, is, is that creativity still there in a higher stakes situation. You know, these are now some of Sweden's best players against some of Finland's best players. And you've kind of stepped it up a little bit in a tournament that is somewhat meaningful. So uh, I'm looking for him to still have that same level of impact, you know, night in, night out. Whether or not he ends up on the score sheet is fine, because even though he hasn't been on the score sheet recently, he is still making impactful plays. I mean, there's still highlights of him with a great carry out from his defensive zone and taking it up ice and then making a great pass to set things up. So you know, I think look for him to be impactful on the power play. Look for him to still make plays at five on five. Whether or not he ends up on the score sheet is great. He may not get a ton of ice time playing on the third line. I expect it will again be somewhere around 12 to 14 minutes. So um, I'm not optimistic about him putting up points, but just look for the creativity there, I think. Yeah, and it should be interesting. Finland, notoriously very structured defensive team. So if he's able to do anything at all against them, um, that's a pretty good sign. And what you're what you're really probably looking for is him to come back to the SHL with the same confidence that he departed with, right? He was on some kind of roll. He's had three games without a point, but still been quite impactful in terms of helping to generate chances. The main thing you're probably hoping for is that he doesn't lose that while he's while he's with the national team. And it won't be long, like Prashant said, just a week. So uh, by this time next week, actually, they'll be playing games in the SHL again. I think I saw a line chart yesterday moving to the junior team, uh, Niederbach practicing on the second line for yeah. Sweden's junior team. Yep. That has second to be line. a good sign, especially after he wasn't initially supposed to be on that team. Yeah, I mean, I think that had to have been some sort of crazy oversight. I don't know how they would have left this guy out. I mean, he's scoring at a historic pace in the J20 right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, you had Niederbach slotting on the second line as the center. You had Lucas Raymond as the top line uh, left winger, and I think that was great. You had Alvin Greva slotting in on the fourth line on the right wing. Um, you know, you had Gustav Berglund, who was kind of a rotating extra, and then you had Albert Johansson, who was the second pairing lefty. So I think it was first. Or first was it pair, first pairing? Okay. I'm going off of memory right. here since you sprung this on me. So, you <laughs> know, uh, I think 
number one, having five players potentially on that team is just outstanding. So I think that'll be a lot of fun to watch. But second, I mean, Lucas Raymond should absolutely tear that up. That top line with him and Alex Holtz, they should be absolutely dynamite. And the first power play unit, if I remember correctly, had Holtz, Niederbach, and Raymond all on it. Um, And so that'll, again, be just an outstanding unit to watch. I mean, they should be a lot of fun and very difficult to play against. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's everything I got that I, everything that I came in with and everything that I remembered on the fly. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on before we let everybody go? No, that's all I got for you. All right. Well then everyone take it easy and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.